This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Guardian Football Weekly. The Premier League is back with loads of injury time and not quite enough sanitation. A fun game at the bridge in the on-paper game of the weekend ends all square. Maybe Newcastle will finish higher than some of us predicted, hammering Villa and the highest of lines. Arsenal start with a win, but Kai Osaka has remained good over the summer. No one prods Roy Hodgson in the belly and gets away with it. Nothing says opening day like a 76-year-old squaring up to someone 50 years his junior. Harry Kaneless Ange Ball has Spurs popping it about and getting a point at Brentford. Rob Edwards voice can't cope with the opening day as Luton get a lesson from Brighton. Everton, brackets Neil Mopai, can't hit a barn door. Who knew? Erling Haaland can. Again, who knew? All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, John Bruin, welcome. Hi, Max. Hello, Nicky Bandini. Hiya. And hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushford. Um, uh, another Barry says, can you read too much into the first round of matches and extrapolate the results to infer performances across the season? That's exactly what we're here to do. Um, an interesting stat from David James, who says, no home side kept a clean sheet on the opening day of the Premier League, which I actually thought was quite interesting. Let's start at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Chelsea won, Liverpool won. Uh, Baz, I really enjoyed, especially the first half was great, sort of petered out slightly, not unlike the Brentford Spurs game, but I thought it was really fun, this. Yeah, and I, I expected it to be fun. Even the team selections were quite interesting. Uh, I thought Liverpool dominated the first half and, and were the better team in the first half. And Chelsea gradually grew into the game. Probably deserved to win it, um, but but didn't. I'd say a draw is a fair result, and it's, I suppose it's indicative of what we were saying the other day about various teams improving and taking points off each other, which could make things very easy for Manchester City. We don't know. We, 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 it's too early to extrapolate that. I'm saying, I'm calling that now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I enjoyed it for all sorts of reasons. Um, there was some good football. There were some fun bookings uh, with the refs th- laying down the law with the, these new directors of booking players for time-wasting booking players for dissent, booking players for for demanding yellow cards, which I, I guess is dis- also a form of dissent. Yeah, I thought a draw was fair. I would imagine both managers would be happy enough. Chelsea are clearly a work in progress and, and in working very early in its progress, but the, the signs look good. Yeah, it was an enjoyable game of football. I thought all of today was quite enjoyable. I, you know, you guys know, obviously, I, I cover Italian football. I cover it for this podcast and among other places. And so I don't often get to fully participate in a Premier League Super Sunday. I watch Premier League games, but I don't get to sort of do the full the full thing. And and two really entertaining games in, in different ways. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about the, the Brentford-Tottenham game afterwards. But yeah, you know, the first half of this game was a first half split completely into two halves wasn't it you had um the the first half of the first half when Liverpool looked completely sort of on top of Chelsea and Salah was sensational I thought you know that shot he took coming in off his onto his weaker foot and it's the crossbar then the the assist is is sublime um and then they could go 2-0 up but it's the narrowest offside and then it all flips in its head and it could be 2-1 Chelsea, but for a narrow offside. And yeah, it was it was helter-skelter and, and entertaining and, and two 
definitely imperfect teams, two teams screaming out for a number six, a defensive midfielder, but also two teams where you felt like there were some pieces working very well around that. Yeah, they're screaming out for a defensive midfielder. Sort of imagine Moses Caicedo could have been just <laughs> sat in a box suspended above the ground. Whoever won got him and now they get to share him because it was a draw. The Caicedo thing's interesting, isn't it? I mean, talking to some colleagues there, um, we're wondering if Caicedo could be a trophy and this could be a new way of like <laughs> hotting up the transfer window. Like a sort of element like the Roman Empire or something like that. Like, you, you just have this... So it's like you know, if you obviously Romeo Lavia is involved there as well. So yeah, you know, if if you win, if you win, say two one, you just get Casado. If you put a really good performance, you get both of them. I see what you mean. I, I thought you were saying if you win the transfer window, you sort of get a full size bronze <laughs> Fabrizio Romano, and that is <laughs> with a big sort of here we go, and it's handed to you. Seventeen point seven million followers. Someone said to me the other day, which is incredible. Well done, Fabrizio. Um, but yeah, I, no, I'm just thinking that maybe that's how teams should sort out these transfer wrangles: is just play each other. Well, how great would that have been if Caicedo, in the midst of all these negotiations to sort of look at the calendar and gone right you two are playing each other in the first round I'll come and I'll sit yeah. right in the middle yeah. somewhere you know in the middle of the director's box and I'll just you know I'll sign for whichever of you wins because you know that way I've got a head start doing the Roman Emperor thumb up or down yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> Barry quite a lot of new signings on show uh, Nicholas Jackson I mean, he missed a couple of good chances but he looked good didn't he I mean he looked in that number nine role which I don't know if is is exactly what his best position is because um, there was still talk before the season started that Chelsea didn't have one, but I thought he did that quite well. He did until he got kicked in the bollocks by uh, <laughs> Alisson. Accidentally, I hasten to add. And uh, that softened his cough for a while, <laughs> understandably so. He he will think he should have scored, but he got in good positions. He got chances and he missed them. You could say the same for Neil Mope yesterday, and I wouldn't imagine... To be a big stampede from elite clubs to sign him anytime soon, so uh, let's wait and see on that one. I would, I would argue, but early signs are promising. I was also uh, very impressed with. Uh... No, I wasn't. That's that was someone in a different game. <laughs> <laughs> you were still impressed with them, whoever they were. And we'll we'll find yeah. out. No, later, uh, uh, well, sorry, accent Zazzy. He he was good. He he looked a, a player. Um, someone I must confess I hadn't really heard of until today and, and had to sort of go and look him up. He's a boon for the tabloid headline writer, isn't he? You know, Dizassi almost That's sounds... Good. Yeah, yeah. He's a defender, correct? Yeah, yes. Right. Uh, now the level is, of insight we have on this part. No, well, uh, the reason I say that is I, I did know he's a defender, but I, I wanted to make sure. But uh, the thing is, I, I looked at Chelsea's team and thought, where are the goals coming from? If Nicholas Jackson doesn't score them, and obviously he didn't, I think that's where Chelsea's problems are going to come because they don't have a striker. And that, uh, I suppose, if you, if yeah, if, if if your defenders are scoring goals, all good and well. But I think managers like to see their strikers scoring early in a season, don't they? Um, and uh, Chelsea don't really have a striker beyond uh, you know a pretty untried player. Is it Villarreal? You know, he's a lot of promise there, but. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. And, I, and I'm not sure Chelsea is sure. The good news is that if Nico Jackson doesn't find his feet, he's only on an eight-year contract. So, yes. You know, no, no, no problem <laughs> um, but it's funny you said that about if the, if the strikers don't score, because, of course, you know, 
the other player who scored but didn't because it was disallowed was was Ben Chilwell. And I did think that was interesting. Like Chilwell was, I know it was notionally like a back three and wing backs, but he was so high the whole game and um, really sort of super super aggressive uh, choices on on that side from well from Pochettino or, or, or Chilwell. I don't know who's who's driving that from game one, um, but actually then sort of created a dynamic that felt very dangerous for Chelsea at the beginning of the game where you had Salah running at Colwell behind him a lot and Colwell struggling with that early on. But Chelsea did sort of seem to balance that as the game got, got on and, and, and managed to make it work without Chilwell really retreating very much. Bart says, shouldn't littering be a yellow card? Um, yes, Mo Salah in a half. Um, Adam Crafton tweeting, Mo Salah huffing and puffing, ripping off his little bandage bit by bit because he's being subbed for a boy born in 2005 from his excellent thread of football is just a relentlessly camp melodrama and none of them realise this. Um, I, I enjoyed that. I mean, Salah was absolutely great, Barry, for a lot of this game, but almost my favourite part was him just being a bit moody when he ran off. Yeah, and he was pointedly ignored by Jurgen Klopp, who I presume were recording just after the game finished. Jurgen Klopp will be asked about it and he will say, oh, I expect him to be angry, blah, 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 blah. He's nearly worth leaving on just for that statistic, you know, that he scores every opening day. Um, I'd almost leave him on just for that because, you know, it's going back so far. But he was clearly unhappy. I suppose he had grounds to be unhappy because he had pl- had a brilliant first half. I mean, he gave uh, Levi Colwell all sorts of problems. Liverpool were clearly targeting him. I thought he was left a bit isolated and possibly could have got a bit more help from Ben Chilwell. But as Nicky points out, Ben Chilwell was gadding about 60 yards upfield and wasn't really in a position to help him. Um, but Levi Colwell did did a lot better. I thought he might get hooked at half-time, actually. He didn't, and he he played a lot more. Uh, he, he did much better in the second half. Yeah. Um, is off to Real Madrid. Um, uh, Courtois injured uh, Robert Sanchez uh, in goal for Chelsea did okay until that sort of last minute where he almost gave away a goal and then Mudrick had that run right at the end didn't he Nicky and I he had a chance and Madsen had a chance and I couldn't quite work out I thought Gary Neville on commentary was almost a bit unkind to them I thought they you know okay they didn't score so maybe he was perfectly kind to them I'm not sure but it was quite a fun it could have culminated in something yeah I was just I'm sure I heard in the commentary them saying the last four games between Chelsea and Liverpool have been nil-nils. I think I think sort of after hearing that, just grateful that, you know, both teams were going for it. And I, I think I think between the two, if you were Chelsea, you'd probably feel slightly more encouraged. When maybe it's just because of where they're coming from last season and how little encouragement there was. This was definitely, as we've said, um in, imperfect and um Obviously, Moises coming in would, uh, Moises Caicedo coming in would, will be a, a big elevation to that. But there was, there was lots in it that was promising. And you know, as Baez said, Colwell improving in the second half. Um, the, the, the midfield, other than that, looked kind of nice. I thought Enzo Fernandez was, was pushing on and creating nice things. Chilwell, yes, he wasn't doing much defending, but he, he was certainly looking dangerous going forwards. I, I think you'd be encouraged as a Chelsea supporter, I would think, to, to see them, them going for it at the end and creating chances to win because especially early on, it, it did look like they were, going to struggle so I don't know I, I think um, between the two I don't know why I feel like this again maybe it's just because of where they're coming from I feel like Chelsea would feel slightly more encouraged by that performance and result than Liverpool would so St James's Park then uh, David says were Newcastle right to sack Steve Bruce um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Charlie says, Christ, my villa to get top four shouts seems a bit far-fetched now. Anyone else? Uh, Bob R, Aston Villa, the natural dark horse's successors to Turkey. And uh, Ryan is City Newcastle next week, an early title decider. Newcastle were very good in this game. Sandro Tonali, Nicky, was brilliant. Were you expecting him to be that good? <laughs> that, honestly, like, you know, I, I mean, people can, can go and listen to everything I've said about him. I think I tried to sort of give quite a nuanced um, picture of him when he was signing for, for Newcastle because I really like him as a player and I was still a little bit sort of taken aback. And I think I was partly taken aback because the numbers thrown around in Italy were a bit higher than what they actually ended up being. You know, in Italy, it was being reported as an 80 million euro transfer. And actually, in the end, I think it probably fell closer to, from, from what I've heard, closer to 70 million euros. Or, and that's, you know, with some bonuses tied into that as well. So not quite as high as I thought. But I, what I'd been saying all along about him is, look, he's he's been one of the very best players on this Milan team that went to a Champions League semi-final. He was the best Milan player on the pitch as they were losing to Inter in that semi-final. He was the one who was raging against the dying of the night. He's a, a technically excellent footballer. He's a really good kid with an extremely sort of good track record of improving himself. Like when he first went to Milan, his first year was such a disaster. He'd come on loan with an expectation they would buy him at the end of the season. They sent him back to Brescia and said, well, we're not going to do it on these terms. And he accepted lower wages to make it happen. So he's a good character kid who's improved himself. But of course, you don't know. You you just don't know until someone's thrown into a new environment how they're going to adapt to that. And And I didn't know. And watching him in this game, of course, it's one game and everything can change and the next game might look different. But I thought to myself, how how did I not know it would go this well? Because he, everything he did in that game is things that I've seen him do before. The only difference is, and this is a cliche, but it's also true, the Premier League does happen at a faster pace. And there are some games in Italy, of course, that, that get high tempo when things are happening, but overall the tempo is lower. I, I remember when I spoke to Fikayo Tomori about it, he said, you know, games in... Italy a bit more like a, an NFL game. It's a bit more about the the planning and the strategy and Premier League games are a bit more like a basketball game where it's just end-to-end, end-to-end. But seeing Tonali, look, we can talk about the goal, we can talk about his involvement on the second goal with that ball in. But actually, to me, the things that really like made me happy for him and think, you know what, he's he's more ready for this than even I perhaps gave him credit for, was how well he was dealing with the increased pressure on the ball, the constant need to to move quickly. Some of his little touches, those little move away from opponents, take the ball with one touch and and get yourself some space. Those were the moments that really stood out to me. I thought he was superb in this game. I thought he was so, so good. And I'm incredibly excited for him and and for the Newcastle fans because, of course, Tonali to Tonali is perfect. Yes, it really is, (laughs) isn't it? Um, And not just him, John, you know, Players they signed last year who we didn't see a huge amount of, Anthony Gordon, Alexander Isak, we saw a bit, but, you know, could be sensational, Isak. As someone who predicted they come eighth, I'd, I'd like to put it up to seventh, if I may. <laughs> and if I could let's put them up every week, you know, until I get to a proper position. Are you speaking to someone who missed the deadline for uh, predicting the season? And I'm already glad about that because I, I was way off. But, yeah, Anthony Gordon, now, obviously had a great under-21 championship. Um, towards the end of last season... There was a bit of glee from Evertonians, wasn't there? Because he'd left the club in a, a bit of a huff. The thing with him is, remember the Chelsea thing with him uh, a year ago where Todd Bowley you know, was moving for every player and he's one of those players that got his head turned and things started to go a bit awry for him. But he got his move in the end. He's had to wait his turn. But I thought in that the, the pit where he came, he came off eventually, didn't for Harvey Barnes, but I thought he was excellent. Really driving forward. The type of player that, you know, on time side, they'll really like because he's attacking, he's direct, he's going straight at them. And the thing about Newcastle is that what you've got to say about 
Eddie Howe um, is that he has built into them that attacking uh, style that their fans like. He, he's worked that out, that the fans really like to just go at the opposition. Now, yeah, OK, there's the time-wasting stuff that they've been accused of, but with Tonali, with Anthony Gordon, especially with Harvey Barnes, who is really rapid and the goal he scored was excellent, you can see why Newcastle fans are excited because they took Aston Villa apart. Now, we can talk about Aston Villa looked undercooked and uh, you'd have to say um, the injury to Tyrone Mings obviously created a big problem for them. And losing Buendia before the game. Yeah, Buendia, yeah, it's what sounds like a, a pretty nasty knee injury. Uh, you know, that's not that's going to not make any game easy. Um, but all credit to Newcastle, I thought they were really good. Um, and yeah... Uh, the title challenge is on yeah. with Manchester City, yes. Should we, uh, Barry, should we write off Aston Villa now? No, no, not at all. Um, Unai Emery is a very good manager. He will go back to the drawing board. He will tinker. He will presumably fix this problem. And Newcastle away is a very tough assignment, um, particularly on the first day of the season. And I expect them to be much improved. I mean, I was taken aback by how good Newcastle were on and off the ball. It was made quite easy for them because Camera and Douglas Louise in, in the Villa midfield were completely overrun. Matty Cash had a very torrid time of it uh, at right back. And they, I mean, it was a brilliant game up until the point that Mings went off. And I, I mean, his injury it just looks so innocuous that, that coming together with Isaac... There was there was no foul. There was he just fell over and and seemed to wrench his knee and and it, his reaction suggested it was very painful and that he knew he's going to be spending a long time on an exercise bike in the coming months, uh, which is not good for anyone's morale, I'd imagine. Yeah, and after that, the game Villa just weren't at the races a bit. It took it took a while for the game to get going and Newcastle got going again and. Um, Villa didn't. Uh, the, the high line they were playing, it only works if, if your press further up the pitch is working, and it, it wasn't. Newcastle are brilliant at winning the ball back as soon as any of them lose it. Uh, they're, they seem to be have a level of fitness above most other teams. And at the end of the game, when you know it was over as a contest, they were still chasing, harrying, hunting in packs. It was a very impressive performance. Uh, apparently, Jack Harrison has done an Arno Danjuma and agreed to join Villa after completing a medical at Everton. Everton's more of a sort of walk-in health centre for Premier League players <laughs> looking to, to go somewhere else. And Matt says, how do you feel about Pau Torres? Torres's dreamy eyes. Has he overtaken Jonas Olsen as the best-looking left-sided centre-half? His eyes are not, you know, they're up there with, they're not at Jesus Navas levels, but, you know, Fernando Lorente and, and Wayne Routledge nervously in the top three, maybe dropping down into fourth spot with that. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin at the waterless Brentford. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We're going on tour 13th of November in London at Troxy in East London, 14th in Bristol, 15th in Manchester, uh, 20th and 21st in Dublin, 22nd in Brighton. Go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. Tickets selling very well in some places, not quite as well in others, but, you know, it's early doors 
And uh, they should all sell out, which will be great fun. Uh, let's go to Brentford. Brentford 2, Tottenham 2. Uh, Jack says, now that you've actually seen Spurs play, Max, will you change your silly prediction for Spurs to finish second to us winning the fucking league, he says. <laughs> the optimism of the Spurs fans. John, uh, you were there. Uh, you were there for a long time because um, the sanitation issue caused a delay. Uh, insert a, a shit joke or a shit-based joke. Um, did Harry Kane take a stop <laughs> with him to Munich? Does that... Uh, from producer Joel. Anyway, what did you make of Ange Ball? Decent signs uh, with certain reservations. Um, I think, okay, there was that delay (laughs) for sanitation. Uh, There was a point, actually, where they said the game may not happen at all, which uh, Ange, after did the, you know, Look, mate, in 27 years in the game, I've, you know, it never, you know, so, yeah, so, excuse the impression. Once they got going, it appeared to me they hadn't prepared for the way Brentford play, which I thought was a bit strange because I think we know the way Brentford play, which is, um, I mean, Vicario, uh, who I'm sure Nicky knows far more about than we... Than us. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Vicario, well, his, his one-touch passing was given a right old test in the first few minutes, and he sort of came through it, and I think he can bet better... And I think he might be better than Hugo Lloris or David De Gea or, or those that, are, you know, I mean, Hugo Lloris was better than David De Gea with the ball at his feet. But I, I, I think he came through it. Uh, but then when Tottenham scored uh, the first goal, they'd started to play the style of football that I haven't seen Tottenham play for a long time, you know, possibly since. I mean, they didn't really play that style under Potts, did they? Because it was much more pressing and aggressive. Possibly since, you know, Harry Redknapp or something like that. But it was a much more relaxed style. James Madison in the sort of classic Spurs number 10 style. And I thought, I'm actually watching Spurs here. You know, you because know, of the, the hoddle, the teddy, the sort of, you know, a bit of swagger. Great free kick from uh, James Madison. Uh, Christian Romero nods in despite being concussed. Then we have the uh, concussion confusion. Uh, including to, to Ange himself. But then Brentford became Brentford again. And then Brentford did this great big surge, went went 2-1 up, and then, then there were 11 minutes added to the end of the first half. And Brentford, that didn't seem to be part of their plan either. And Thomas Frank admitted this after, that it's become very difficult because, you know, managers plan games, you know, after 10 minutes we want to be like this, you know. When you have no idea how long you're going to be playing for, and if you play at the full energy of Brentford, how do you conserve energy? Don't you don't use up your petrol? And so they sort of uh, you'll have a nap we, after forty six yeah, minutes. They'll have they a nap, and so they just had a nap. Yeah, at the that game time, sort of carried the on. The game was carrying on. Spurs came a lot more into it, and then suddenly Spurs sort of dropped off, and uh, and Romero should have scored, and uh, Rico Henry, I should say. Uh, Two brilliant surges past the ever-entertaining Emerson Royale, who scored a great goal, a great play to watch. Um, it, it was really, really entertaining. But in the second half, they got used to each other's style of play and they sort of nullified each other. And I think we've seen that a little bit over this opening weekend, which is teams find the style. And I don't. I wonder those extra minutes that we're seeing, whether they are actually a, a waste of time and a sort of teams don't really know where they are at in the second half. And then, of course, the sickest joke of them all is that they only added on four minutes at the end of the second half. Because I, I thought there was going to be a 15. I sort of I agree with John there, Barry, that, that 
Spurs were playing classic Spurs, you know, Madison in the 10, just popping it about like they were 4-0 up in a preseason friendly, even when it was still 2-2. Yeah. <laughs> they like, didn't seem that bothered. They didn't seem that bothered about winning. Winning doesn't matter because we're just playing like this. But but as a Spurs fan, it was just it was just sort of so pleasurable to see them just passing it between each other. It's an extraordinary sight. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they could have passed it around a bit quicker. That seemed to be a problem. It was quite ponderous. But I'm sure that will come in time as, as they get used to each other. Uh, I thought Madison was, was very good. I was impressed with De- Destiny Doji, uh, the left-back, 20-year-old. Uh, Vicario, he looks like he's going to be a lot of fun. Brentford were clearly, you know, their strikers, Bueno and, and uh, Wissa, were clearly given the brief, you know, chase this guy down at every opportunity and try and force an error and... and while he got away with it, there were a few hairy moments. And Brentford, I think most of the focus on this, going into this game, was, you know, how will Spurs play? What will they be like without Harry Kane? What will they be like playing Ange Ball? And everyone forgot that Brentford were playing too, and Brentford were just Brentford. They can go direct when they need to. They, they're quite comfortable with the ball on the floor, passing around. The concern about the lack of Ivan Tony, as we said in the, the preview, doesn't look like it's going to be a problem because Wissa and Buemo are, are fine players and they both got on the score sheet today. Yeah. Um, Richarlison isn't Harry Kane, Nicky. Like, like Richarlison had like two half chances and you sort of feel Kane scores one of those. And I, and I hate that that is going to be a recurring, I feel that's going to be a recurring theme when you're talking about Tottenham. Well, of course it is because, you know, you've had one of the best strikers in the world at a club for his entire career and now he's gone. Of course, whoever stood in those shoes is going to to feel the comparison and and until someone comes along scoring at a similar rate, that's going to be the case. And and that's kind of an, un, an unwinnable situation, right? Like it, there's almost no club that's ever going to be able to replace a player like Harry Kane and immediately get someone of the same calibre. But, but the conversation is inevitable. I, I don't think it's the most sort of important one for Tottenham right now. First of all, they did still score twice in this game, you know, whether or not they, they were getting everything right, they, they did still score two goals. And I, I think there are sort of more structural problems that I would be sort of, I guess, more practical problems that you can think about with this team right now, such as we know Ange likes his wingers to, to stay wide. We only like them to, to hug the touchline. And and Son didn't look very comfortable in that role to me today. Son was sort of more of a, a question for me than, than Richarlison. Son looked a bit, a bit lost and, and, how do you fix that? Because Son is obviously a very talented footballer. Again, we know we can get more out of. Is there a spot for him that's going to work better? Could Ange so show a bit more flexibility to bring um, to bring him more into the game plan? But but so far that looks like one of the questions you've got to answer. Meanwhile, there are other questions that you felt like you did get quite a good answer for. I know um, Emerson Royal was was sort of beaten by um, by Rico Henry for for the goal, but I thought he had otherwise not just for his goal a, a really nice game playing in that sort of you know, that inverted fullback position. So yeah, it was it was it was an interesting mix um for, for Ange. But it was interesting, I've forgotten now whether it was John or Baz who said a second ago about about, you know, the identity of a team, what Newcastle fans want to see, you know, their team attacking. And I feel like the crucial thing for Tottenham fans today was actually just sort of feeling like, oh God, this is actually football that we enjoy watching again after the the Mourinho and the Conte. This is a football that that says, let's go forward. And I think that stuff really matters. I think clubs' identities really matter. I think that having a manager who understands what the fans want goes a long way in terms of the stability of a project, actually. 
I'm also a huge fan of uh, the baggy shorts that Emerson Ryle continues to wear. Sort of like they're just sort of baggier than anyone else in the Premier League. Perhaps more importantly, Barry, is it time for you to get off your high horse and put the drum down as Postacoglu took a concussed player off who didn't want to go off and said, look, people like me should shut up and listen to the doctors. So that's what I'll do. We've gone beyond the stage of managers or players trying to get funny about these things. Yeah, it was good to see um, Christian Romero was obviously in a bit of distress, but he didn't want to come off. But if he's in distress, he's not in a position to decide. Someone else has to make a decision for him. Poch made, made the right one. Interestingly, he wasn't taken off as a concussion sub. So Spurs, if they had desired, could have brought him off, put on a concussion sub, and then Brent, that wouldn't have, they'd still have had five subs left, and Brentford would have got six as well. There's no temporary concussion subs, uh, as I believe they have in rugby, because uh, a trial of that was, was voted out for this season in League One, MLS, and the Premier League. And interestingly, uh, Max, you sent a WhatsApp thing, and someone they'd wanted to make a concussion sub, but someone filled out the wrong form on the bench, which I, I thought was funny. It's very easily done. I once went to renew my driving license and filled out the wrong form by mistake, and now I'm a member of UK. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that, you know, when I think Lisa Simpson was the prom queen, but she wouldn't be sponsored by cigarettes. So she was disqualified because in the bit, uh, in the application form, under the bit written, do not write under this bit, Homer Simpson had written, okay. Um, uh, anyway, look, Harry, Harry Kane's gone to Bayern Munich for 100 million. Um, the speculation was, you know, it, we all knew it was going to happen. Then he wasn't allowed to get on his plane. Then he had to go to a mate, like a, his uncle's house or something near Stansted, Mount Fitchett. Maybe he went around Stansted, Mount, Fit, Mount Fitchett. Good place for a school trip. Um, and then he lost in the Super Cup, John. Objectively, would have been funny if he'd won a trophy in his first game. Objectively, also funny that he didn't win a trophy in his first game. Those doleful cow eyes that we've seen from Harry Kane over the years as a, another disappointment slides by. Welcome to that, Bayern Munich. Um, it was, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't his fault, was it? They were 2-0 down when he came on. The stage was set for his heroism, but of course he couldn't deliver. I think he had, I think it was 10 minutes. Uh, I was watching the, the World Feed commentary over here with uh, my good friend Derek Ray and uh, Dietmar Haman. And Haman, at one, and Diddy Haman said, I don't think he's touched the ball yet, you know. And they sort of have a, and then there was a bit where he sort of, he got the ball in the channel, but not the Harry Kane channel, because the Harry Kane channel is the one left-hand side cutting yeah. the shoot. It was the other side, and it's like, no, 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 he's got to be on the other channel. And it, it didn't quite happen for him. A bit like when Dead's Lion went to ITV. Just the wrong channel. Yeah, him, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It? With too many adverts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Burnley nil, Man City 3. Erling Haaland scoring after three minutes. Nicky, a, really se- a real sense of... Here we go again, another season, finding it impossible to think up interesting questions about Manchester City and Erling Haaland. And then his second, was, but he's going to score 100, isn't he? Yeah, it's, it's just, there's something about how he makes it look so casual. Like that second goal, it's just like, okay, now I'm just going to like, in a blink, like before you've even noticed I've got the ball, I'm just going to put it in off the crossbar and you go, oh, well, that was ridiculously easy for you and it wouldn't be for any other player in the Premier League. I mean, exaggerating, but you know, he does, he makes it look, he makes it look ridiculously easy and yeah, it's it's sort of one of those games which incredibly impressive, and also I don't know how much to, I can say about it. But they, they're a ridiculously good team, and they make sometimes other Premier League teams look like they 
don't even belong on the same pitch. Yeah, Pep wasn't impressed, though, was he? There was that weird half-time thing where... Don't you think it's all an act? It's all show, isn't it? Yeah, well, no, I was going to say, because both of us will get criticised for saying it was a bit of showy, but it did look a bit showy. The way he sort of moved the camera away as if he was uh, shielding a Kardashian or something <laughs> like that. It was, it, and it, 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 I mean, to be fair, he did carry on the ramp as they went down that Burnley tunnel, which is obviously in the corner of the pitch rather than straight down. Funny enough, Harlan didn't really do much after that, so I'm not sure how effective it was. I did think it was interesting that before the game, Vincent Company said, this is the worst we'll play all season, which, uh, okay, fine. Uh, that's setting a standard, isn't it, I suppose? I thought they were good. I mean, I really I really enjoyed watching them, you know, uh, knock it about, Barry. I mean, Richard Keyes didn't. He said this Burnley team is nowhere near as good as the one that went down. <laughs> going to be a long season not defined by nights like this but they'll struggle and maybe they will struggle not defined by nights like this but let's define them by this night (laughs) (laughs) but i i I was really impressed i didn't think city were at it that's the thing i thought city city weren't quite at it but it's that's that's the worry isn't it are they going to be asses or is does the fire still burn max Mm. um yeah burnley were all right they pressed constantly it was interesting that when Kevin De Bruyne went off, injured quite early, uh, that Pep made a defensive substitution. He brought, he brought on Kovacic. But you also had, on I think it was the 17-minute mark, uh, yeah. Jordan Bear, uh, Burnley centre-half, down with cramp. <laughs> That's what Manchester City can do to you, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I thought they were quite impressive. It's... <laughs> It's very hard to discuss their performances, like say the performances of them or Luton or Sheffield United, without sounding patronising. But yeah, they were okay. I mean, it's a free swing for them, isn't it? No one was expecting them to do anything in this game. They didn't get embarrassed, uh, although some of their fans embarrassed them. Um, but that's nothing to do with the players uh, booing the knee, invading the pitch chucking a, a lighter at Rico Lewis. I thought we'd actually entered an age now where players would be getting struck by vapes. Okay. But, uh, that doesn't seem to have happened yet. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, don't throw things um, or invade the pitch or boo the knee. I mean, all the things are pretty obvious. Um, uh, so the Emirates are on two Forest one. Uh, so it seems like they're good as well. It's interesting, Nick, isn't it? When you spend the whole summer, you only think about the players that are in the gossip columns for, you know, are they going to be transferred or not? And so you just sort of your mind wanders and you don't think about Gabriel Martinelli or Bukayo Saka. But it turns out that just not playing for six weeks doesn't mean they're not really brilliant still. <laughs> I mean, as an Arsenal fan, you still do, Max, to be honest. So yeah, a bit different. Um, no, I, 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 I loved the beginning of this game, obviously. And, well, not the <laughs> very beginning of the game where Forrest uh, nearly scored. But yeah, Martinelli's sort of pirouette setting up the first goal. Bukayo Saka was just like such a classically second goal. It was really nice seeing Nketiah get that first goal because there has been a lot of talk about him specifically. And I think there's been a lot of sort of feeling among Arsenal fans that, you know, that want to sort of pick up where they still see weakness about whether or not um, he's good enough. And and obviously Arteta spoke about him after the game and basically said he's been such a sort of fury in training that he's made himself that he had to get picked. You know, he's, he's, he's fought so hard for it that he, he made, was was making the case you have to play me and, and, and then um, proved his point. Um, unfortunately, you know, you did still end, even though Arsenal won, as a saying, unfortunately, from my entirely one-eyed perspective. But yeah, unfortunately, from an Arsenal's perspective, um, you do still leave the game with that concern that actually the, 
the soft underbelly, if you want to call it that, is is still there. That sort of ability to be in control of a game and then concede a goal just to a very effective, very well executed, but essentially just a very direct attack from Forrest. And then to lose your composure for the last part of a game, which you've been really in control of, um, hasn't quite left yet. But, you know, it's the first game of the season. There were three new players on the pitch in this game. I thought all of them had... Um, pretty good starts obviously other than the injury to Timber which is bad news so uh, I think uh, all in all pretty positive start to the season Uh, Yeah what did you make of Declan Rice's performance John? As expected really drive from midfield there's one run in particular that you just thought that big loping stride of his um, I still think the thing is with Declan Rice there are improvements to make aren't there that to, to be yeah, as good a player he was for West Ham, and you know, uh, Jacob Steinberger of the Guardian was saying he's the best West Ham player of the last thirty years. Now, I wouldn't disagree with Jacob's expertise there, but Arsenal's a high standard. Uh, I'm sorry, Jacob. He is going to have to improve and maybe get through a bit more of the dirty work for Arsenal if they're going to pr- protect that defence, which it, it's Saliba and Gabriel are going to be injury prone as possible, and it's Timber. Um, one thing. Since we had a lot of players, that injury where no one's near them, that appeared to be a feature of opening weekend, didn't it? That one, that one for Tim looked quite nasty. He, yeah, he looked in pain, which is... Well, I, I think he had been injured in a challenge before the half-time, and then yeah. they obviously decided not to take him off, and he must have exacerbated it. But, I mean, that's an interesting point on, you know, and we didn't really talk about it in the Premier League preview about Rafa Varane saying, look, we're playing too much football. All this injury time is going to be playing more football. We are going to get injured and no one cares about us. And there's an instant reaction to that, Nicky, which is... It's the first game of the season, actually. No, 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 I know that. But, they, they, I mean, it's cumulative, isn't it, as a footballer? You play lots and lots of football. But they, ha- but they have been on... They've been on these tours as well, you know. I, I, I'm sort of anti them for uh, environmental reasons more than anything else. But also, I, I, I don't know what you get from running around a field in Las Vegas that you might not get you know, running around a field in, let's say, at worst, you know, the Austrian Alps or something like that. I don't... Loads of money, John. Loads yes. of money. <laughs> yeah, That's what well, you get. I'm not motivated by that, Barry, and I don't think they should be either. But, you know, that's me. You may say I'm a dreamer. <laughs> the only one. I wonder without that. Be, you know, like Kevin De Bruyne, you know, there was a guy in the Champions League final, came off the field and said... I've snapped my hamstring, which sounds horrific, doesn't it? And yet he's set that six weeks later, seven weeks later, whatever it is, he's back on the field and it goes again. Now, I'm worried for Kevin De Bruyne because he's such a brilliant player and, you know, he might end up a little bit like, say, Steven Gerrard, who, whose career was, you know, derailed for quite a while by that type of thing. The pressure, as Max, I think, is saying, the players are put under an awful lot of physical pressure. And yeah, uh, Varane's point on this extra minutes, even though they do seem to doze through those, uh, it's. I, I do wonder what, what the game is eating itself at that, at that point. I mean, of course, if they didn't time waste or moan at the ref, there would be that. That's the converse argument. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. Anyway. Just, the ninety minutes, the the, the 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 ten minutes of injury time thing. The thing that I struggle with with it is actually like, I'm not saying it's not a good thing to to, to put some pushback against time wasting because we all would like to see that. But I'm not quite sure like what your end goal is. You're still not getting to 90 yeah. minutes in play. And Nobody frankly, football it. was never 90 minutes in play. Yeah. Like Not even before no, people had no. thought about time wasting because there's always been time lost to goal kicks. So what are you aiming for? Like Because it feels still quite abstract. We've just decided to throw a few more minutes on and say that that's better. Like It still feels like you just 
pulled something out of nowhere. Nicky makes a great point because I, I think it's David Dean is someone that's been behind this, isn't he? He's been one of the drivers. It's like, we want to give fans more football. No, 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 no. no. Fans want to go to the pub. They want to get the yeah. train home. They want to... You know, <laughs> football reporters want to file on time. My gaffers want the piece on time. Football at 90 minutes, that was... It was yeah. optimum. Just the outrage that, you know, the ball was only in play for 38 minutes when, you know, Burnley Who played Stoke. A- you don't want any. You don't want it in play for any longer than that, do you? Anyway, no, let's rattle no. through a few more games. Brighton 4, Luton 1. A tricky start to life in the Premier League for Luton there, Baz. It was, and it's not surprising because... Brighton are a very good team. Luton were away from home. It was the first game in the Premier League and they learned some hard lessons. I I don't think they looked fit enough for starters, which is a grave worry because that is, you'd expect that at the very least. They they didn't quite look fit. I remember a a Jose, I think it was a Chelsea team some years ago who started the, the season. They clearly weren't fit and they had a terrible start to the season. And, you know, if if I, a slob like me, can look at players and go, you're not fit enough for this, um, that that's not a great sign. Uh, they could have con- they conceded four and could have conceded a lot more. Uh, there was a lot of individual errors, uh, not least their manager shouting so much that he couldn't really conduct his post-match interviews without becoming the subject of much ridicule. <laughs> He sounded like Graham Kelly. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying to... I was trying to listen. I just couldn't work out the time who it was. It was Graham Kelly. Because, I mean, imagine if you were um, a, a, a woman or, or indeed a man and you met Rob Edwards out at a pub or something later that night and you'd no idea who he was and you were, you were immediately uh, sexually attracted to him because he's one of the most incredibly handsome man, men I've ever seen and you decided to chat him up. And then he opened his mouth and out came this little squeak. You'd immediately be put off, wouldn't you? <laughs> so maybe he deserves to lose his voice because he's just too damn good looking. But anyway, yeah, it, it was a tough lesson for Luton. And Brighton were, were as impressive as, as we know they can be. Um, they didn't have to be particularly brilliant. Pelly Ruddock and Panzu as well for, for Luton became the... He, he officially completed football by playing in the Premier League, having come up from non-league with Luton, the only player ever to do that with one team. Well, I mean, it's, it's and, a staggering um, achievement, that. It is an one absolutely of, staggering achievement. Now he wishes yeah. he hadn't. Yeah. It is an incredible achievement. It is an incredible achievement, and hats off to him. But, yeah, there was, we could see why he was in non-league with that attempt at clearance. <laughs> I would say that clearance wasn't non-league enough, was it? Because, you know... He, he tried to flick it over the, the centre forward. And really, you know, if you're playing in the Beezer Holmes Prem, that is going in row Z, isn't it? I mean, the thing about Brighton, Nicky, is just this ability to keep refreshing. Right, OK, it's only Luton. It's only the first game. But every year, you know, they lost Basuma, who looked great today, didn't really last season. Casado's going. Who else have they lost? McAllister as well. That's like a whole midfield, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you're right. They, like Brendan, you know, I suppose summed up with, Evan Ferguson, still 18 years old, coming off the bench and scoring a goal at the end. It's been a, a really impressive production line in one sense, but I think obviously like a lot of it comes to having a good system manager who's got a good system that he feels confident putting new pieces into. And Deserpi's obviously been, um, I mean, I, I enjoy his football a lot. It's probably the sort of football that um, some days, if you're a fan, makes you want to tear your hair out because it's it's it never takes a step back, but it's it's also so brilliant fun to watch I think certainly from what I get of living in Brighton most Brighton fans seem to be pretty on board with it uh, alright that'll do for part 
2, part 3 begins at Bramall Lane. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Caponosity says, will Roy Hodgson beat Anthony Joshua's next opponent? Um, he's, he's fought worse. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> highlight of the day, Barry, was Max Lowe versus Roy Hodgson. I mean, it was just so much fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, um, it could have got much uglier, I think. Ball goes out for a throw-in, for anyone who didn't see it. Roy Hodgson went to, to sort of trap it. Uh, and Max Lowe didn't realise I think that's what he was I think Max Lowe thought he was trying to prevent him from taking a quick throw in when in fact he wasn't so Max Lowe got a, sort of all up in his grill before and kind of elbowed him in the stomach before actually realising oh I'm about to physically assault a 76 year old man <laughs> and uh, so he kind of backed <laughs> off but not before uh, Roy had you know sort of squared up to him uh, and they both saw the funny side, thankfully, or it could have been quite the talking point. Well, it already is a talking point, but even more of a talking point. I mean, I'm not here for haymakers between footballers and managers, but I would say it's actually quite a shame that it didn't turn into like a full-on Roy just being held back by Ray Livingston gun. It's not worth it, Roy. That's what I wanted to see. All I'm saying is watch out Jason Sindel. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, it was just tremendous entertainment. I mean, the game wasn't fascinating, John. I mean, Palace sort of battered Sheffield United, I thought, for 1-0. Paul Hickenbottom saying nothing scares us in this league. And I think if you're getting done by Palace that much, something should scare you. I don't think anything scares Paul Hickenbottom. No, that's true. He'd win SAS, wouldn't he, he, the managers? He'd wish that, win that. Frighteningly uh, sort of intense and hard ban. I do think Sheffield United begin the season shelling their best players. Mm, not great, really. P- Palace, OK, listen, Palace have been a good team over the last few years. It, it, it's not a total disgrace, but it's not a good start either. Yeah. Uh, Everton nil, Fulham 1. Toby says, I'm an Everton and Wickham fan. Has anyone even given up on a season prior to mid-August before? Wickham have lost both league games 3-0 so far this season. Adam says, could Barry score one of the chances Everton had at the weekend? Um, I mean... It's hard. I mean, Everton had so many chances, Nicky, in this game. It's sort of, yeah. it's totally believable that they lost, but they shouldn't have done. No, they really shouldn't have done. I mean, there was some great saves by Leonard. There was a disallowed goal. There was, there was, there was a lot that happened that you'd normally think to yourself, "Well, that won't happen every week." But then you think to yourself, "Well, it's Everton. Might happen every week." Um, you know, they they shouldn't. They, they actually played quite a good game, didn't they? Just an inspired game from Leno and and. Fulham ruthless in the one moment when they needed to be with them, Cordova Reed. Yeah, who was in John acres of space. I mean, so it was sort of sort of weird that moment. Yeah, Everton. I mean, just get it over with and get relegated. Just, I think that I think they, I think there's fans there that probably wish they had done last season um, because the way they began, the, the sort of utter hopelessness. Um, who was it that was sat on the bench? I mean, you know, Deli Ali was sat there, wasn't he, with Seamus Coleman? No Dominic Calvert-Lewin. There's three talented players unavailable to the team. Nothing is going right for them. And, of course, this is supposedly Goodison's final season. But I suppose it could close out with the groan of all time, couldn't it? Mm, I think they'll be all right. I just think they'll be all right. I don't know why. That's because we've they've always been all right. But you can't keep yeah. circling the drain in the fashion they have. 
It's just not possible. Well, if they keep giving enough medicals to players, some of them might actually go to the right side. <laughs> yeah. Everton, I guess. Um, Bournemouth won, West Ham won. Uh, lovely finish from Jared Bowen. Slightly fortunate equaliser from Dominic Solanke. Barry, you said if you could watch only one team this season, it would be Bournemouth. So please give us a detailed account of how Bournemouth <laughs> did and how this game was. Yeah, I wasn't hugely impressed with them, I have to say. Uh, first things first, Max Ahrens playing at uh, full back for them. Didn't that was one that bypassed me completely? Uh, so we know from the famous Sid article that absolutely everybody in the media, commentators, pitch side reporters, everyone has clearly read this Sid article. They're all using the phrase organized chaos, which is what one of uh, the former players, uh, Rayo Valcano, mentioned you know the style of play. The fullbacks are very important to that, and Andoni Arola has brought in two new fullbacks, Max Aaron and this guy Kirkes, both youngsters. So they, they'll be busy boys this season, uh, tearing up and down the wings. But um, yeah, they were all right. Obviously, I suppose watching on TV, uh, you don't get as much of a vibe of what's going on as you would at the ground. But um, I would imagine both managers would be reasonably content with the point. And yeah, Jared Bowen's goal was was a beauty. This next section of the podcast is brought to you by TNT Sports. Thank you, TNT Sports. This season you can stream exclusive UEFA Champions League and Premier League football on TNT Sports in celebration of the start of a new season. We've been asked to dive head first into everything we're excited to get back to. Now the football is back. And our TNT Sports are aware that we're not always excited about every part of football, Barry. So we don't we we do have we don't have to just Go gung-ho, we love everything. But I will start with Ali McCoist, who is a good signing by TNT Sports, of course. And one of those very rare things in football, someone who is universally loved. I guess some Celtic fans. <laughs> Barca yeah, Jim. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> Barca Jim may disagree with me, but, you know, those rivalries aside, uh, I, I look forward to hearing his enthusiasm for the game because it is infectious. This pod occasionally people say none of you like football, and that Nikki is is not true, is it? No, it's 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 funny, isn't it? Like I, I think like definitely by the end of last season, I'd hit that point. Maybe because there were three Italian teams in European finals, whilst it was a very busy end of the season, I was like, okay, ready for a little pause. And then we've had the Women's World Cup on, which I've been enjoying loads, and I was almost worried that that not being done by the time that club football returned I was gonna be like oh am I ready for this but actually this weekend to be able to watch morning games go straight into the afternoon games with the the club football I've loved it and um yeah, obviously like predictable but I'm I'm really excited for the start of new city our season I think that um I'm sure football weekly wants me to probably talk about that another time but um once again it's gonna have one of the most wide open um title races in all of Europe and um you know with the the, the newly minted champions appointing Rudy Garcia with a lot of transfers in at, at Milan, some important players leaving Inter. I think it's really wide open. So I'm, I'm really excited to start with Serie A and I've, I've really enjoyed the start of the new Premier League season as well. And actually not dissimilarly, John, with the Premier League, you know, we quite often sort of tease people for saying the greatest league in the world. And I don't care if it is or it isn't. But the fact that we have so many teams that look really strong and improving is means that we, you know, every week we'll have games where big teams are taking points off each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm not a transfer enthusiast, but I do think it's made this season interesting so far. I think, you know, we talk about winning the transfer window. I think football's won the transfer window this season because it's gone absolutely do-lally again uh, and gone even even sillier. But, yeah, I mean, 
you know, yeah, people mis- make this mistake about me. I do really love football. I'm considering I watch it six, seven nights a week. I must have some <laughs> passion for it, I suppose. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, when you you get to, when you go to the first game of the season, like I did today, Brentford Tottenham, you know, you 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 know, just think you know, the, the the flushing urinals. Oh, sorry, <laughs> uh, the, um, <laughs> the, yeah, just the just the. You know, just, the urinals don't even need to flush, and yeah, I'm having a great time. No, no, just you know the the waft from the uh, no, but um, <laughs> it, it's it, it's um you know because football yeah many years ago when you know thirty years ago uh, football didn't used to be so comfortable and great to attend. So it was great to walk down memory lane and smell those smells and <laughs> suffer that lack of uh, facilities as, as as I was so used to back in those days. It is funny though, smells of football is a fu- you know because yeah. Like what's happened like, to un- what's happened to onions? What's <laughs> <happened> to onions? <laughs> or fags, onions, cigarette smoke. Uh, yeah, I mean the, a real like stale cigarette smoke of the Abbey back in the eighties. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, a wonderful thing. You can still find that in non-league. And- you can definitely still smell cigarette smoke in City Let me tell you, and often things that aren't just regular cigarette smoke <laughs> oh, yeah, in exactly. City stadiums as well. I would say. <laughs> do, do the managers still smoke them? That's what I used to like about Syria. Not on the touchline, yeah, but yeah, just uh, the yeah. Gasper on, just you know, just <laughs> that's what. They want fags, just pure <laughs> cigarettes. Actually, yeah, I know they got the Champions League, so it might sound contrived that I'm saying the Champions League, and I work on it as well. But when they do, when the knockouts come out and the draws for them come out, and you're seeing big sides playing big sides in the last sixteen, that is also a very exciting moment, I think. Anyway, this isn't just sports; this is everything. TNT Sports gets you exclusive UEFA Champions League and Premier League football, along with the best of rugby, boxing, UFC, WWE, MotoGP, and more. Stream TNT Sports on Discovery Plus or watch TNT Sports channels on BT Sky and Virgin Media. Subscription required age 18 plus T's and C's apply. Uh, uh, any other business? Uh, Roberto Mancini has resigned as the Italy coach, Nicky. Yeah, it's came a bit sort of out of nowhere. He's given a, state, a sort of short statement in which didn't really give that much weight. just sort of saying he decided it was time. I think it, it simultaneously feels like you know, not a sort of a decision that lots of people might think is is even overdue because obviously there was the failure to qualify for the World Cup and I think there was this sort of slightly awkward dynamic after that because of course this was the manager who led Italy to win the Euros in really unlikely circumstances when you look back at the in absolute terms at the quality that Italy have had at their disposal the absolute lack of strikers which continues to be a problem for them it was really remarkable to win that Euros but then missing out on the World Cup afterwards there's never been a sort of bounce back from that and the Euro qualifying campaign for 2024 hasn't started great obviously with the home defeat to England but the problem is with the timing of it it feels a bit like it's left Italy in the lurch because you've now got less than a month to two really really important qualifiers the ones against um, North Macedonia and and uh, Ukraine I think it's North Macedonia away and then Ukraine at home North Macedonia of course who did knock Italy out of World Cup qualifying um, in that playoff game so it, it's left Italy in a in a rush now to find someone who can oversee a really really important next few games because of course Italy failing to qualify for the Euros as the holders having just missed a World Cup for the second time would be a catastrophe Is Conte available? The obvious names for managers who are of a suitable profile and available right now is probably Antonio Conte and Luciano Spalletti now I would love to see Spalletti get a chance at it I also feel like for Spalletti I would have loved him to get a chance at it that wouldn't be thrown at him with three weeks notice for really important qualifiers it's it's a tough spot um, but Spalletti having just won the league you'd, you'd like to hope that someone at the uh, Federation will at least pick up the phone and, and talk to him about it 
Is Conte's legacy initially in any way tainted by his awful spell at Spurs? No, I mean, I, I think Conte's legacy in Italy is pretty secure because, of course, he had a really impressive legacy as a, as a player and then he went and won as a manager in two different clubs and then he also overachieved with Italy as well, even if not quite to the same extent that Mancini did. I think his, his legacy in Italy is pretty secure regardless of what happened to Tottenham. On the subject of Mark Langdon having never eaten a banana until last week, uh, <laughs> Adam says, uh, not really for this lineup, but the next time Mark is on, do you think we can get him to attempt this? I'm sure the community would generously fundraise for a charity of his choice. Uh, this is the world record of most bananas peeled and eaten in one minute has been achieved by Mr. Pedro Aguila from Mexico, uh, Mexico City on the 26th of July, 2015. Mr. Aguila peeled and ate eight bananas, uh, bracket eight, brackets eight. Uh, so Vidi printer style uh, bananas in one minute, while uh, average banana size was six inches and approximately 100 grams. Given it took Mark 25 minutes to eat one. <laughs> I think he has some work to do, doesn't he? And Tom says, not a question, but an apology. I had my vasectomy on Saturday and I didn't listen to the podcast. It was someone's job to distract me in the room and I didn't want to put them out of their job. Next time, maybe, he says. Yes, good is luck. That, your- is that an actual job, distracting someone during a vasectomy? Like what? I mean, do you do a stand-up routine? <laughs> just juggle? Yeah, I was going to say, is that where, this, this is that where sort of old comedians go to... <laughs> <laughs> so you walk in and there's someone juggling on a unicycle. And, you know, That's that. Mick, Mick Miller is now working in a, a private clinic on Harley Street. Edinburgh didn't go so well. So here I, here I am. Peanuts, whatever happened to them? Irishman, Irishman walks into a bar. <laughs> anyway, uh, that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, John. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks. Cheers, Baz. Thank you. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. 